Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Saturday, August 27th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, August 28th, 2022. My name is Reese Robinson. I'm on air today with my co-host, Jasmine Smith. How's it going? You know what? For a change, I'm having a good day. I'm not just going to say I'm hanging in there. That's really good. Um, It's always good to hear good news, you know? Yeah. You know, I just, I woke up on the right side of the bed. My cat's behaving. It's a nice day out. Um, And I like this time of year. Like, you know, I, I am a big summer person, but I also do enjoy the fall and I know that that's coming. So yeah, yeah. I'm in, as of right now, as of the time of recording, I am in a good state of mind. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> All right. That's cool. I enjoy a good state of mind. I also really enjoy autumn as well. I am a fall baby, so it is coming in and I am here for it. The slowdown of the season is very welcomed. Are you a Libra? I am all day. (laughs) I'm a pure Libra. So is my father. So shout out to Libras. Hey, it ain't our turn yet. We get in there, but all right, Dad. You know, yeah, we're in Virgo now, right? Yep, as of today, Virgo season is beginning today. It's a new moon today, too. Virgo. One of my friends just sent me something saying um, it was some uh, report that J Lo fired all the Virgos that uh, like tried to audition for something. Like she said, all all the Virgos raise your hand, and they did. Oh wow! They all had to leave. And, like, the whole article was about discrimination based off of, like, bias in jobs against um, certain astrological signs. And, like, oh, my God. They said cancers have it bad because people don't under, they associate it with cancer, the disease. Like, wow. Cancers is just emotional. That's how that is. (laughs) Maybe they said we don't want to work with you either. You cry too much. Right? You cry, baby. (laughs) Look, I love cancers, sorta. I'm a cancer rising, so we'll we'll have that conversation another day. Mm-hmm. All right. So on the docket for today's episode, our local news story is about a South Sudanese diplomat diplomat who's been accused of rape and stripped of his duties uh, while the New York City case is under investigation. Our national news story is about a documentary about children who survived Hurricane Katrina. For World News, we'll be talking about the arrest of Mexico's attorney general in connection to the disappearance of 43 missing students. And for our good news story, we will be talking about the partial student loan debt forgiveness that is happening right now. All right, let's kick off today's episode. And that would be me. I have our local news segment. And this story uh, particularly came from the Daily News. And the title of this article is diplomat accused in NYC rape recalled, stripped of duties under full investigation, South Sudan officials say. Uh, The author of this article is Emily Silwell and Thomas Tracy. Okay. The South Sudanese diplomat accused of raping a woman in Washington Heights has been recalled to his native country, according to a statement from the country's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Charles Alia, 46, dodged a rape charge because of his diplomatic status after being briefly detained by police on Sunday night. By Thursday, he was back in North Africa, some 6,000 miles away from New York City, 
says South Sudanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation. The leadership of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation took the decision to immediately recall the diplomat in question, pending a full investigation from the Specialized Committee. Olia has been suspended from his duties awaiting the outcome of this investigation. It is with regret that our diplomat was involved with an alleged rape incident with one of New York City's residents. The 24-year-old victim told police she had been out walking her neighbor dog, her neighbor's dog, when Olia approached her and said he wanted to come with by her apartment. When she told him she wasn't interested, he followed her into her home and raped her. Police sources with knowledge of the case said the woman had never met Olia before and reported the attack after a friend convinced her to do so. The woman was taken to New York Presbyterian Hospital um, in Cl- uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital, Columbia, in Washington Heights, near where she lives, to be evaluated. Cops took Olia into custody, but he invoked his diplomatic status, which the NYC's Intelligence Bureau confirmed was valid. After a dis- discussion with the police, the police lawyers, the diplomat was released at about 5 p.m. on Monday. The Manhattan District Attorney Office was still actively investigating the rape allegation, as well as supporting the survivor through witness aid services. The statement from Sudan's diplomatic office said sexual misconduct in any shape or form is a heinous and wholly unacceptable. In his home country, the Sudan Tribune reported that sources described Aliyah as a miscreant diplomat known for his undiplomatic behaviors during private functions and going to off-limit places in the areas of his assigned locations. Mayen Dutwul, Undersecretary of the Foreign Affairs Ministry in South Sudan, told the paper that no one brought the rape allegations to the attention of the ministry in New York and that officials learned about Olia's arrest by seeing it in the news media. Nobody came out to lodge the complaint against one of the diplomats at our mission to the United Nations. In such incidents, if such incident has occurred, it would have been brought to our attention through appropriate and official channels and not happen as far and not happen as far as I'm concerned. Foreign diplomats have escaped justice in a variety of cases over the years, including two Sudanese diplomats accused of city sex attacks in 2017. In October 2017, a 23-year-old woman told cops that diplomat Hassan Celia, 36, groped her breasts and buttocks at Bar None on 3rd Avenue near 13th Street. He was cut loose because of his diplomatic status. That January, Mohammed Adala Ali was charged with sexual abuse after a woman accused him of grinding on her in a Manhattan subway. He was also freed because of his diplomatic status. That same year, the wife of Azerbaijani diplomat walked free after being accused of shoplifting at a Bronx Marshall store. So that's enough of the article for us to discuss the issue. Um, One of the reasons I wanted to bring this to our attention is that Um, You know, when you are a foreign diplomat, you're charged with going to other countries to help create peace missions and connect dots that will um, help the global overall functioning of your country within another country and, and, you know, stand up for the people that you are representing. But it seems to me that oftentimes they are um, accused by crimes, these particular diplomats that were spoken of in the story, and just never charged, never followed up, just allowed to... um, rape people and, you know, uh, shoplift and all type of other things without ever being prosecuted.
Wow, that's that's awful. And this the one that you first mentioned. His last name is Ali. Is Alia? Yeah. It sounds like he he also already has like a messed up reputation back home of the way that he was conducting himself. And this is who you're sending out to represent your country. But, you know, the sad thing is, whether it's diplomats or, you know, anyone that's in a position of authority or power, it's like they feel that they can just do whatever they want. And unfortunately the way these laws are written, it proves them right. And there's people who go into those types of positions and that's why they seek them out because they have a desire to be able to act like they're like a God unto themselves and they can just do whatever. And that, that, you know, people associated with them can do and get away with whatever. So I don't, I don't know what's up with these these laws that they just can't be touched. I don't know who thought that was the best idea or what even the specific purpose of that is that they have this special consideration, but no, that's, I feel very sad for the victim because that's, that's horrible. That's like all of our nightmares that happening. Absolutely. I mean, no one is above the law and it's sad because it's like, these are the people who are put in place to um, in trauma in the world to connect people from one dot to the other. Like, I would be interested to see what is the process for becoming a diplomat? I'm sure it's different in every country, but, you know, what really designates you as someone who is capable of the responsibility and has the good moral character? I think we've had this conversation about other um, authoritative figures in American society, but on an international level, you know, it'd be interested to see what is the process of dissemination for people who hold this seat. Yeah, it, it would be. And I also feel like, you know, things are not good in the U.S. when it comes to rape and sexual assault and those types of crimes as far as, you know, victims being taken seriously perpetrators actually getting having any type of consequence like we see you know these stories happen all the time to people who are not famous or powerful but it's the same dynamic of making excuses covering stuff up so I'm not trying to say that in the U.S. things are so great but at the same time you know there's other places in the world where it's even worse than it is here and the fact that you know he gets to go back to this to south sudan it's like lord only knows like what type of havoc he's wreaking over there that doesn't you know get you know taken seriously or it doesn't become an international news story it's almost like it's a big deal because he came to new york and did it and now we're hearing about it, but now he's going back home. And what does that solve? Is he going to face any type of consequence over there? Because this isn't something you just wake up one day and do. You have a habit of doing this to people. Right, right. And the way he did it, you know, so suspect, just following her up into her apartment and raping her, like, wow. Just terrible, <sighs> terrible, terrible. It reminds me of this, um, this story where in the UK, where the 18-year-old girl, Lily Sullivan, was strangled by a 31-year-old man because she had turned him down. And this was like right before, I think, Christmas last year. Oh, wow. And he got angry at her and, and killed this girl. 
and there's you know cameras where you can see the two of them you know and her mother pulled up because she was picking her up after some type of a party or event and she saw the guy who did it not knowing what had happened but he had just killed her daughter and this is only recently now like i think he's been sentenced or something like there's really a disturbing and very scary climate that I feel is becoming worse with men feeling emboldened to act out in these ways and put women and girls in danger. And it's whether it's the UK, South Sudan, Manhattan, you know, it's like you got to have eyes on the back of your head, side of your head, feel like you got to have a weapon on you at all times because these men are bugging out. Yeah, definitely. Please be vigilant, be protective. I mean, I know there's not really putting any, um, it's not really we can anything we can do per se about this, but just be mindful, ladies, um, and anyone else for that matter. If you're ever in a situation where you feel unsafe, call somebody, take something with you. Just be careful out there because it's a lot of uh, crooked and crazy people that have all kinds of things that they're trying to do to us. So we are going to go ahead and take a breather. I think it's totally needed. The first track for today is called Go Gigi and is by a band called Antibalas. We'll be right back.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And next up, Jasmine will give us our national news update. Um, so this week marks the 17th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Um, and in case you needed a, a bit of a refresher on the events of that natural disaster, Uh, This information is from Britannica.com. Hurricane Katrina was a tropical cyclone that struck the southeastern United States in late August 2005. The hurricane and its aftermath claimed more than 1,800 lives, and it ranked as the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history. An estimated 1.2 million people left ahead of the storm. However, Tens of thousands of residents could not or would not leave. They either remained in their homes or sought shelter at locations such as the New Orleans Convention Center or the Louisiana Superdome. As the already strained levee system continued to give way, the remaining residents of New Orleans were faced with a city that by August 30th was 80% underwater. Um, So just with that in mind, um, this more current news story is um, about a documentary film that is about the aftermath of Katrina. Uh, The title of this article is Katrina Baby's Filmmaker Wants to Share Untold Stories of Children Who Lived Through the Disaster. The author is Sharice Gibson, and this was reported for WWL, which is a local um, local news site in New Orleans. As we approach the 17th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina making landfall, it's a time many of us just don't want to relive. We suppress the memories. We said a long time ago, we wanted to look forward. But New Orleans filmmaker Edward Buckles says he created a film he hopes will force us to confront that trauma. More importantly, remember the children that have felt forgotten. The debut of Katrina Babies is seven years in the making, a documentary film shining a light on a generation whose childhoods were defined by disaster. The film will air on HBO and HBO Max on August the 24th. Leading up to a screening, Buckles held community events highlighting artwork done by local young artists at Ashe Cultural Arts Center and promoting mental health and wellness. I didn't realize the power of telling your own story, Buckles said. I didn't realize the power of speaking about things and how that's healing. The film features some of the students Buckles taught at Edna Edna Carr High School, which he attended in the aftermath of Katrina. Edna Carr saved my life, literally. This school saved my life. Buckles credits Edna Carr High School with helping him to change his life trajectory, something he attempted to do for his students. He returned to Carr once he graduated college teaching digital media before soaring towards a film career. I told them I'm going to be back in a bigger way 
So it feels good to be back in this way, you know, telling their stories. He's also telling the stories of the kids whose memories would be stained by the death and devastation that immediately followed Hurricane Katrina. Initially, Buckle says he wanted to explore parallels between so-called Katrina babies and the behavior they're experiencing almost 17 years later. I was watching archival, like hours of footage of archival that I found of my family before Hurricane Katrina, Buckle said. I never cry. I just broke down and started crying. For the first time, it hit me that I'm still not healed from losing my family to Hurricane Katrina. Buckles hopes that same breakthrough and realization happens for all Katrina babies. It took me a while to accept that as being a trauma because it's not like I lost a life. It's not like I was in the water because I evacuated. But the disruption of my family dynamic and identity and having that stripped away from me, that's trauma. But Buckles admits to not coining the Katrina baby's phrase, but personally defines it to be any child during the storm who couldn't take care of themselves. A lot of what those children experience on those roofs, in those attics, when they are being airlifted, Buckles said, those who evacuated, who stayed in shelters and were separated from their families and their homes, even if it didn't hit them then, it's hitting them now or it may hit them years from now. He calls it a big piece of rebuilding and recovery that, has, that had gone forgotten. Despite his anticipation for Katrina babies, some say another Katrina story isn't what they need. But this is not another Katrina story. This is a story that hasn't been told about their children and, her, and Hurricane Katrina will never be over until we hear their full stories from all perspectives especially the children, because its impact and our trauma is surfacing now, Buckles said. Buckles said it's evident in the rise in crime we are seeing in New Orleans today. Through these firsthand accounts, Buckles gives Katrina babies room to release emotions that have been suppressed for some 16 years, especially on the heels of the 17th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, Buckles wants to open a door for Katrina babies to find a pathway to healing. Every time I show this film to a Hurricane Katrina survivor, what I am doing is re-traumatizing them. So I have to make sure I offer wellness and help. The HBO documentary film Katrina Babies debuts on HBO and HBO Max on August 24th, 2022. Wow, that's a really interesting um, documentary. I, I would actually enjoy watching just because as traumatic as it was, it was a part of, you know, the history of my life that I remember so clearly. Um, I remember buses and truckloads of people going down trying to help. I remember the pictures of the video, seeing just people standing on roofs and barely being able to rise above the water. I mean, I can't even imagine the level of trauma for families who were separated, you know, those who decided to leave and those who decided to stay. I bet that is just probably gut-wrenching to think that your family members should have just left with you, you know, or uh, especially for these children whose parents and all of their legacy was caught up in this storm. And then they had to go back and try to rebuild on something that didn't exist anymore. I mean, I, I could just 
this is important work, but I got chills just thinking about the, the levels of trauma that people will have to see this film and also to acknowledge their past. I still think it's important work, but I definitely am happy that uh, there is some sort of mental health help that's being available and support in, in connection to the film, because just thinking about it myself, I can almost feel a sort of eerie vibration of what that's like to imagine again. Yeah, I also, I was uh, in high school when Hurricane Katrina hit, and you know, I'm, I'm someone from the state of New York, so I wasn't directly impacted, but I do remember the same as you, like seeing it unfold on the news and just being in a state of disbelief. Like I felt like I couldn't believe what I was seeing and the extent of the devastation, the delay in the response and the way that, you know, survivors were being spoken about. It was really, you know, especially because like New Orleans is such a black city, like the racial disparity and some of, you know, the rhetoric that was used was very obvious. You know, like I remember, um, do you remember when Wolf Blitzer was on the news and he was reporting and he said, these people are so poor and so black. Do you remember seeing that? No, I don't remember that in particular. I remember, I will never forget that as long as I live. Like he just said it, like these people are so black and so poor and he said it the other way. He said, these people are so poor and so black. And then um, George Bush's uh, white mother, she was saying, you know, people stand, stand in the Superdome that that was like a vacation for them or that it was better oh for them. There. Like, it was nasty. And I, you know, there were people using terms like, and I, I believe me, I don't mean this in any way to say that refugee is like a bad word it's not it's just that you know refugee as a term has a specific definition a refugee is a person that has been displaced from their home country and had to cross a national border they don't know when they can go back because of some type of disaster or political unrest in their home country People who were fleeing the damage of Hurricane Katrina were routinely referred to in the news media as refugees, because I think in a lot of, you know, the, a lot of the mainstream white media's minds, you know, they associate how, however many generations you've been here as a black person in their head, they were thinking of and categorizing the victims as like this other that was, you know, streaming in from this other place as opposed to, you know, their fellow fellow people in the country. So I I agree with you. I think it's extremely important to not forget and to you know, follow through with, you know, what have been the long-term ripple effects of this disaster because it, it's not the last one. We still see these things unfolding now. And we're not going to learn anything if you just sort of, if we just let these things slip into history, like you have to try to learn a lesson from it and, you know, continue to support people. Absolutely. Shout out to this filmmaker who has taken so long to put the touches on this piece of art piece of history, documentation of the lives of those who have lost and remained. 
Uh, like I said, I think this is really important work and, you know, we should all make space and time to experience it. Have you ever seen the documentary When the Levees Broke? Yes, I did see that one. They aired it at my church in Brooklyn. Yeah, I would also I would strongly recommend um, anyone who hasn't seen it. If you have access to HBO, you can watch both parts. Uh, when the Levees Broke is a documentary that Spike Lee made about Hurricane Katrina that goes into very deep detail about, you know, the history of the region. He's talking to survivors about, you know, the way this country responded, how other countries responded. Uh, there's also a lot of things that people forget. You know, there were like white vigilantes that were mounting up shooting black people. And, you know, keeping Black people out of their area or keeping them from crossing bridges, you know, people that were desperately trying to escape to save their life, you know, and like we need to, especially with the anniversary coming up, I would encourage you to watch Katrina Babies and also that documentary and read up on, it's still news stories today about people having been defrauded out of stuff. Brad Pitt had this news story. He had some foundation that was quote unquote building homes for people. All the homes are messed up, moldy. People still suffering health consequences from that. So it's the past is never really the past. It's still with us. We have to keep learning from it and supporting, you know, those that obviously still need our help 17 years later. Absolutely. We're going to go ahead and hop into our next music break before taking a look at the world news update. This song is called Latte Time and it's by an artist named Creature Sonore. We'll be right back. can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at 
objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, For this next segment, this story I'll be taking from two different articles. One is on aljazeera.com. And unfortunately, I can't find the name of the author for this particular article. And then the second one is from CNN.com. And uh, the author of that one is by Carol Suarez. So I'll start with the one on Al Jazeera so we can set some precedent and then uh, we'll switch over. The title of this article is Six of 43 Missing Mexico Students Were Giving to Army. The revelation by a top official ties the military to one of Mexico's worst human rights scandals. Six of 43 students disappeared in 2014. Sorry, six of the 43 students disappeared in 2014, were allegedly kept alive in a warehouse for days, then turned over to the local army commander who ordered them killed, the Mexican government official leading the Truth Commission said on Friday. Interior Undersecretary Alejandro Encinas made a shocking revelation directly tying the military to one of Mexico's worst human rights scandals, and it came with a little fanfare as he made a lengthy defense on the commission's report released earlier this week. President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador established a truth commission after he was elected to office in 2018. Last week, despite declaring the abductions and disappearances a state crime and saying that the Army watched it happen without intervening, Encinas made no mention of the six students being turned over to Colonel Jose Rodriguez Perez. On Friday, Encinas said authorities were closely monitoring the students from the Rural Teachers College at Ayantinsnapa from the time they left their campus through to their abduction by local police in the town of Iguala that night. A soldier who had infiltrated the school was among the abducted students and Encinas asserted the army did not follow its protocols to try to rescue them. There is also information corroborated with emergency 089 telephone calls where allegedly six of the 43 disappeared students were held during several days and alive in what they call the old warehouse and from there were turned over to the colonel. Allegedly, the six students were alive for as many as four days after the events and were killed and disappeared in orders to the colonel alleged um, Jose Rodriguez Perez. The Defense Department did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the allegations on Friday. The role of the Army in the students' disappearance has long been a source of tension between families and the government. From the beginning, there were questions about the military's knowledge of what happened and its possible involvement. The students' parents demanded for years that they be allowed to search the army base in Iguala. It was not until 2019 that they were given access, along with Encinas and the Truth Commission. The commission report says the army registered an anonymous emergency call on September 30, 2014, four days after the students' abduction. The caller reportedly said the students were being held in a large concrete warehouse in the location, and the caller proceeded to describe the location. That entry was followed by several pages of redacted materials, but the section of the report concluded that the following concluded the following. As can be seen, obviously obvious collision existed between agents of the Mexican state and the criminal group Correros Unidos that tolerated 
allowed and participated in events of violence and disappearance of the students, as well as the government's attempt to hide the truths about the events. Later in the summary of how the commission report differed from the original investigation, conclusions, there were mentions of this colonel. Okay, so that is one part from Al Jazeera. The story on CNN.com is titled Parents of Missing 43 Mexican Students Welcome Arrest, a Formal Attorney General. The mothers and fathers of 43 Mexican students who went missing nearly eight years ago have welcomed the findings of a recent government report that found the disappearances were a crime of the state. For us, it is significant and has positive elements that will help us to know the truth and obtain justice, the family said in a statement published on Friday. The fate of the students is an endearing mystery that remains unsolved despite years of scrutiny and international interest. The students have been visiting the southwestern city of Guala and the teachers college in Ayotzinapa when the buses were intercepted by local police and federal military forces in September 2014. Exactly what happened that day and why remains unknown. However, survivors from the original group of 100 students said that the buses had been stopped, sorry, and fired on by armed police officers and soldiers. Bullet-riddled buses were later found in the city streets with shattered windows and blood. Some 43 students subsequently disappeared. A government report last week referred to the incident as a state crime based on thousands of documents, text messages, phone records, testimonials, and other forms of evidence. Jesus Marilo Caram, the former Attorney General of Mexico, was arrested a day after the report came to light and accused by the prosecutor's office of being a suspect in the crimes of forced disappearances, torture, and against the administration of justice. He had led the state's investigation into the disappearances of the students, but was criticized by then-President Enrique Pine Nieto for his lack of transparency handling the matter. The parents of the 43 welcomed the arrest. Today, the judge who processes the cases agrees with us. Marilo Karam conducted a dubious, irregular investigation plagued with torture, manipulation, and fabrication of evidence, thus constructing a lie that prevented us from knowing the whereabouts of our children, the parents' joint statement said. We cannot give up the fight until we have full proof of their whereabouts. It will be painful in our uh, for our families to learn of their fate, especially if it's lifeless. But if they give us scientific or definite proof, we will go home and warn them. To date, we don't have any evidence. Therefore, our demands to fight continue. So just to kind of summarize everything, these children, uh, they were all males, 43 of them. They went on a trip of a teacher's to, um, from a teacher's college to actually go to a gravesite of some previous missing students um, that was somewhere else in the country where they were traveling to. Upon going there, the buses were raided and apparently they were murdered um, and some joint force between the military and it was covered up by this uh, attorney general who basically redacted information from all the reporting and things of that nature. So since 2014, this has been going on and the parents have been looking for their children. They have no information. There were no remains. And for all these years, they haven't been told anything about what happened until as of late, they have now arrested the attorney general in connection with this. Um, Such a sad story. And it's been going on for nine to 10 years. Um, Can you imagine? trying to find information about your fallen family members and being caught up in a state collaboration. It's awful.
you know it's really really that's so bleak and so sad and horrible for the families for their friends for the victims obviously it's just it's it's sadly like indicative of a much larger problem and what is a universal truth i believe that all these gangs and trafficking and all you know these things that you hear about that sound so evil and ugly it's not always just the big bad wolf that people think uh, be able to accomplish what these groups are able to do if you do not have people on the inside that are condoning it that are getting paid to look the other way that are in agreement with what's happening and they go along with it I mean, we know here, I mean, to use a parallel example in the U.S., like how many people are a part of the military, a part of the police force, and they have these horrible allegiances with all types of racist criminal organizations and all of this. That happens everywhere. You know, you got corrupt people just doing whatever they want to do. And, you know, but if you can blame it on, oh, it's the cartel, oh, it's these criminals, it's like, yeah, well, they have help. They have a lot of help. And if they didn't, a lot of this stuff would have been fixed a long time ago. It's just, I don't know how people sleep at night being involved in stuff like this. I mean, I guess there's also the possibility you don't know if people are doing certain things under threat to their own life. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're going along with it. But, you know, my grandmother used to say it's a bigger cat than Tom. It's not just the person that's the obvious villain. It's a that's lot true. of people making money off of this, these types of situations, benefiting somehow. And it's just terrible, terrible, terrible. Yeah, I watched a couple of reports with some of the parents speaking out. And, you know, many of them... I hate to say denial, but have lived in denial that their sons were still alive because they never even got information on what happened to them. There's no remains. There's nothing. And so there, you know, many of them were saying like they won't believe their children are dead until there's actual proof. And I just can't even imagine what that's like. It's a constant horror story for you as a parent to just not know what happened to your child. So unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. And like that, that term disappeared. Like, I I feel like I only ever really see it used in the context of um, Latin America, like the Spanish speaking um, Caribbean, Central America and South America. Like, and that is like such a specific thing to happen for you to just no one you can't even say like, okay, this person was murdered, like they could have been murdered horribly, but you know what happened to your child and you know where they are. You can have some type of closure no matter. It's still horrible, but you have a place you can go visit to put some flowers down. You can have some type of ceremony and you know what happened to your loved one. But to take that away from a person even, it's just, it's pure evil and just very it's devastating. Like I, I'm glad that they feel some sense of relief that at least this one arrest was made, but I hope that, you know, the truth continues to be uncovered and that this shit is reined in because sadly it's happening every day. 
Absolutely. Prayers up for the families who have been affected by this trauma. Um, Jasmine, you got some good news for us to end out our episode today. I have some very good news. So this is another national news story. And this information comes from the Associated Press. It was written by Colin Binkley, Seung Min Kim, and Chris McGarian. More than 40 million Americans could see their student debt load reduced and in many cases eliminated under the long-awaited forgiveness plan President Joe Biden announced Wednesday, a historic but politically divisive move in the run-up to the midterm elections. Fulfilling a campaign promise, Biden is erasing 10000 in federal student loan debt for those with incomes below 125000 a year or households that earn less than 250000 He's canceling an additional 10000 for those who receive federal Pell Grants to attend college. It's seen as an unprecedented attempt to stem the tide of America's rapidly rising student debt but it doesn't address the broader issue, the high cost of college. Biden also extended a pause on federal student loan payments for what he called the final time. The pause is now set to run through the end of the year with repayments to restart in January. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle-class people hit especially hard during the pandemic, Biden said at the White House Wednesday afternoon. The cancellation applies to federal student loans used to attend undergraduate and graduate school, along with Parent PLUS loans. Current college students qualify if their loans were issued before July 1st. For dependent students, their parents' household income must be below $250,000. Most people will need to apply for the relief. The Education Department has income data for a small share of borrowers, but the vast majority will need to prove their incomes through an application process. Officials said applications will be available before the end of the year. Biden's plan makes 43 million borrowers eligible for some debt forgiveness with 20 million who could get their debt erased entirely, according to the administration. About 60% of borrowers are recipients of federal Pell Grants, which are reserved for undergraduates with the most significant financial need, meaning more than half can get $20,000 in relief. Um, so I'm going to stop reading there just because um, it's, it goes into more detail. It's very lengthy. I will share the link on our website. Um, but I also wanted to read this briefly from The New Republic by Astra Taylor. Uh, the title is The Real Heroes Behind Biden's Student Debt Announcement. Uh, so this is just a small excerpt. Uh, the author mentions the debt collective in particular expanded the Overton window through bold tactics, including multiple successful debt strikes. Despite the overwhelming stigma and judgment associated with indebtedness in this country, debtors from all walks of life went public with their financial struggles said enough is enough and got organized. They signed petitions, disputed their debts, attended protests, and declared their inability and unwillingness to pay, and against the odds completely shifted the coordinates of the debate, and as of this week, secured hundreds of billions of dollars in relief. 
So yeah, I mean, it's only the beginning. It doesn't go far enough or as far as it should go, definitely. But I still think, you know, all the people who have organized around this issue for years, when it was not always popular, a lot of naysayers, I'm very grateful that at least we're starting to see the beginning of a change. And I hope that the momentum keeps going. That's absolutely great news. Thank you. <laughs> does it affect you? Yes, it does. So I am grateful. Yay. And let's celebrate that. Right? That's good news right there for me. I'm like, listen, it's a lot of struggles we be trying to press against and different strokes for different folks. But I'm really grateful um, as someone who works in education, as well as someone who benefit from this work, that they carried it through, man. Carried it through. Shout out right. to all of you. Yeah, and also if you want more information on the details of what's happening, you can you can go to studentaid.gov forward slash debt hyphen relief hyphen announcement uh, for more details. And also, this is from CNBC. Uh, if you've been paying your federal student loans during the pandemic, here's how you can get a refund. Uh, so you can type that in. That just came out today again from CNBC with more details on the process of requesting a refund for payments you may have made during the pause from March 2020 through now. Uh, I know some people didn't think that there would be any debt relief, so they may have been paying a lot. So, you know, if that applies to you, see if you can get some of that money back. I know that's right. That's awesome. I love when we have stories of retribution. <laughs> I know. Do you do you know? Okay. Do you know um what is her name? Barb it's uh Barbara Thomas Reddick, Dr. Barbara Thomas Reddick, the singer. I think so, actually. That sounds very familiar. Okay, because you know what? I kept and I like the video of her performing this song, but this was like my student loan payment anthem. I'ma see if you can hear it. <laughs> Do you know what this song is? No. Well, let me tell you something about these loans. It won't get done. It won't get done. Hey. It won't get done. Right? <laughs> you should have let me know. I would have submitted that as our third song for today. Shoot. It won't get to. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> we might not even need a third song today. Just let it rock. <laughs> you know what? We can't. You, I got to send you the video because she's singing it outside. And I'm like, she starts talking and she's like, and she points up to the sky. If God don't do it. It just won't get done. I was like, you know what? I'm a believe and hold out. Right? I'm keeping my money, and I'm there glad I did it. So you know, she goes on. Uh, well, I guess we can play that at the end, and you can hear the whole thing. <laughs> 
All right. Sounds good. That sounds amazing. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or check out our show on Spotify. Keep listening for more independent Brooklyn media. And I guess that's it. We'll see you. We'll see you next week. We're going to play you out with Dr. Barbara Thomas Reddick. If God don't do it, it, it won't, won't get, get done. done. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>
Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.